Daf 8a, Chesamet Aleph, eight lines down, Amar Mar. And the Gemara says, Amar Mar, Yesh Yem there are days in which you should be looking at the Taras, and there are days in which you should not be looking at the person with Taras, or what might be Taras. My mash, what's the implication of this statement? Amar Abaya, Im Kain, if so, the Torah should have written, Rachmana Bayoim, should have written on the day. My Ubayim, why does it say and on a day? What's that coming to teach you? Shmamina, this is coming to teach us, there are days in which you do see Taras, and there are days in which you should not be looking for Taras. Rabba Amarava says, Kula the entire Pasuk of Bayim is an extra Pasuk. The Imkain, because if all meant to say is, what would be the typical way to write this? The Torah should have written, and when you see a flesh that is not ill, not diseased, my Ubayim, why does it say and on a day, suggesting another type of day? Shmamina, we see from here, Yeshim Shatabrayabai. There are days in which you can look at his, to see if he has Taras. Yeshim Shiatabrayabai, and then there are days in which you do not look to see if he has Taras. For Abaya, and Abaya, let's say, Ahomi Baila, that's going to teach you, Bayim Baleba Laila, that the examination to see if he has Taras has to be done during the day and not at night. But Rabba, Rabba argues, what, how does he learn that the the Kohen looking has to be done during the day and not at night. It says, how does he know that during the only can, it only can be looked at by the Kohen during the day and not at night? Nafkale, he derives it from, it says, everything should be done according to the sight of the eyes of the Kohen. The implication is that it has to be done during the day when the Kohen can see it. Abaya, Abaya, what does he do with that pasik? Tahumi Baile, he needs the pasik, Limiute, Suma Baachas Meinav, to be Mamayat, to exclude a Suma, someone who is blind in one of his eyes, from being a uh, proper coin to check out if this guy is a Matsura or not. Someone who's blind in even one eye is not proper. Rabba Nami Mi Baile Lahachi, Rabba also needs to teach you this halacha, that someone who is blind is not a coin who could check out if he has his Matsura. And Achanami, indeed, it is so that Rabba. Rabbi does learn that out from. Then where does he learn out that during the day and not at night? He no longer is extra to teach you during the day and not at night. It's actually teaching you that a Kohen is blind to one eye. It's not appropriate. He derives it from the fact that it says, it seemed to me like there was an affliction in the house, you know, Taras in the house. The fact that it says, the implication is, that he saw something with his own eyes, with vision that was had the light that was coming from externally and not from uh, candles. If it was learned out from there, I would say that that only holds true when the type of tumma that you're looking at is the tumma that does not come from the body. In other words, it is a tumma that comes from the house. However, but a tumma, a impurity that comes from the actual body. You could even check it out using the light of a candle. Mashmalan, that that's not true. And the Pasik says, Ubayim, that teaches us that you that that indeed it has to be seen by somebody who's able to see. And it has to be done during the day as well. So the next Mishnah. said further things that you're allowed to do or not allowed to do on Yahalamay. What they used to do in the ancient times is they would actually do a, a, a burial. Okay. And then after a while, when the body had decayed, 
it would take the bones and move it to a different grave. Okay. So when they were gathering the 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 halacha was, the mayor says, you're allowed to actually gather the the, the bones of your father or mother. And on Cholamoid, why? Why is this why is this okay? Why is this an activity that's permitted with Because it is a joy to be able to inter the bones properly. Basically, says, this actually is an occasion of mourning, and you should not do it in Cholamoid, because you're not supposed to be sad in Khalamaid. A person should not be causing others to mourn for the dead. You also should not hold the, the hespit, the, um, the eulogy, should not be done 30 days before the festival. Up, you know, 30 days and, and up, coming before, to the festival. If somebody's gathering together the bones of his father and mother, I raise them as he mourns for them the entire day. It's seemingly not like a mayor who says that you don't mourn. But nighttime, he doesn't mourn anymore. Even if he had them tied up in a sheet, right, and he didn't gather them himself, it's still considered a scenario where he is in a state of mourning. So how can a mayor say that it's actually a joy? Bayez says, you have to understand what Rameyer meant. Rameyer did not mean that it actually automatically causes joy, but that the act of being, of fulfilling the mitzvah of simchas, yamtif, will push off the, the state of, of, um, of sadness that he's had, that he would be having naturally. Loya ar al so a person should not cause others to mourn for the dead. Cholamayit. My loya ar al so what does it mean that you should not stir up others about the dead? Amarav. Like in, in Eretz Yisrael, in the West, like they would say, whenever a, when a saftana comes around, the, the professional uh, eulogizer, anybody who is bitter in their hearts, in a feeling of bitterness, let them cry together with him. Because those are the emotions that he's going to evoke. Before the, fat, before the holiday 30 days, why specifically 30 days? There was an incident with the fellow. What happened is he had gathered together money to go up for the for the Amtevim, right? Because we know that the Shalash Regalim is supposed to be going up to Yerushalayim. Uh, a professional uh, lamenter, so to speak, a eulogizer, comes and he stops at his house. And his wife took the husband's money that he had been saving to go up to Yerushalayim with. And she gave it to this lamenter because he, he touched her heart in such a way. And didn't end up going to Yerushalayim. At that time, they said, We don't do either of these two activities. We don't try to get people sad. And we don't have the professional eulogy um, th- up to 30 days in advance of the holiday. Shmuel, I remember Shmuel says, and Shmuel says, because once we start talking about the dead 30 days before, we won't be able to get it out of, off of our minds. So we'll end up being sad for 30 days, which will include Yom And that's why you can't do it 30 days in advance. My benai, what's the difference between these two opinions? The difference between them is where the eulogizers agree to do it for free. According to Rav, well, it, if it's done for free, it still cannot be held, right? I'm sorry, according to, according to Rav, Rav says it would be okay. But Shmuel says it's not okay because Rav says the concern is that the money is going to go away. Well, if it's doing for free, there's no concern. And Shmuel says the concern is 
that you're going to cause sadness. Well, the sadness will happen whether he's getting paid or not. So at the next Mishnah. You're not supposed to dig kuchen. Kuchen are these things that are dug. They used to bury people in graves and they would dig down and then they would have like these uh, like um, slots in the side of the wall of the grave. Okay. You can't dig these kuchen or regular graves that are above the ground. You can't dig them on Yom but you're allowed to adapt them on And you're also allowed to make a nevrachas on Cholomayed. Nevrachas was a, uh, like a stone, um, uh, like a tub that you would soak things in it. And a box with a dead body is next to it in the courtyard. Yehuda forbids these activities unless you have nesarim, unless you have planks ready to go to build it out of. My kuchen or my kvaras? What are kuchen and what are kvaras? Amr of Yehuda, kuchen bechafira. Kuchen are things that were built by digging, kvaras bebinyan, and kvaras and graves are built by actually a build, an actual build on top of the ground. Tanya Namiyach will interpret like this as well. Elohim kuchen. These are kuchen, Elohim kvaras, and these are burial places. Kuchen bechafira, kvaras bebinyan. Kuchen are made out of digging a hole in the ground to bury the person, and kvaras are made by building a structure above ground. But you are allowed to adapt the kuchen. You're not allowed to build them for the first time. And Yom Tepoyar, you're allowed to adapt them to get them ready for usage. How do you adapt them? If it's too long, you're allowed to shorten it. In the Mishnah, we taught that you're allowed to lengthen it or shorten it. What is in the brachas? You're allowed to make in the brachas. My brachas. What is in the brachas? I'm Rabbi Yehuda. Zubakia. It's like a little pool. But Tanya and the brachas Rabakia. When Rabbi said says the brachas, and then separately it says the bakia. Seemingly they're two different objects, not the same. I'm Rabbi Yehuda. Kahana. Abaya says some say Kahana says. Gia or bargia. They are a gia, a trough, and a bargia, the son of a trough. So they are very very similar. Just one's a little bit of a different size. And the body in a dead in a box with the in a courtyard. We learned here that which the we learned elsewhere in Abraisa. You're allowed to do everything that the dead body requires. You're allowed to cut its hair. to wash its garments. You're allowed to make a, a, a coffin for it. From, from uh, wood that has already been cut the proper size before Yom Tif. He says you're even allowed to take wood or like thick pieces of wood and even trees and then properly make them into boards in your own house. Not in a public way because that would be a, that would give the impression that you're actually working a chalamite, but you're allowed to do it in a private way in your own house. You're not allowed to get married on Yom Tif, whether she is a woman who's never been married or whether she is a woman who has been married previously. And you're not allowed to do yivam because it is a rejoicing. And one second, we said before you are allowed to rejoice in yamtus. What's the problem? The Gemara will explain what the problem is. You are allowed to remarry the wife who you divorced, as long as she hasn't gotten married in between, of course. And a, a isha is allowed to make her tachshitin on mayed. She's allowed to make a jewelry adornments on on chalamayed. You're not allowed to use lime because when you use lime, temporarily it looks gross. I had an ordinary person can sew in the regular fashion, even a chalamayid. But an uman, a uman who is a, uh, a craftsman, really knows what they're doing, professional sewer, 
then you can't do you can't do your professional sewing on kolomai. and they're allowed to set up the the bed frames. They're allowed to set up. He says they can only be tightened but not set up. Well, if it's just a simcha to get married, then what's the problem? Why can't you do it in Chalamayid? Up until now, we've been discussing things you can't do in Chalamayid because it's too much work or because um, it, it's sad. Over here, it's a simcha and it's not too much work. So what's the problem? We don't want to mix together one simcha with another simcha. The way Taisvis explains is that you're supposed to be focused on the joy of Cholomayim. And what will happen is, inevitably, when you start thinking about the other joy that you're having by getting married, they're going to stop focusing on the joy of young. He says, because you leave behind the joy of the, of the young tif, and instead you're busy with the joy of your wife. That which Rabbi Baravuna says, it's the same thing which Rabbi has taught. Amar Rav Daniel Bar Katina Amar Rabbi. You know the name of the son of Katina says the name of Rabbi. How do you know that you don't get married to a woman? You shall rejoice on your holiday. You shall rejoice in, in the holiday aspect, but not in your wife. Ula Amar, Ula says, because of the tereach, because it, it actually does involve a lot of effort to get, put together a wedding, as we know. Because the, the, um, if people were to were allowed to get married during Yamtif and Cholomayid, everybody would get married in Cholomayid. And what will happen is people will end up not getting married, or they'll end up getting married later, and maybe they won't have children. Amazing, challenges this. All those who said you're not allowed to get married during Cholomayid, turn the page now. You're allowed to get married the day before Yamtif. According to all of these explanations, the day before Yamtif should be problematic. Why is that cheating? Mara says, like Kasha, it's not a question. If the problem is that it's about rejoicing, the main rejoicing is only one day, and that will be an Arab Yamtif and not later. According to one who says, because of the exertion of standing up for the wedding, the main exertion is also only that one day of Arab Yom According to what it says, because it might lead to a decline in people giving birth. Nobody is waiting specifically for this one day to get married. So it's not going to lead that people will push off the wedding. How do you know that in general, you're not supposed to mix together two different types of joyous occasions, right? They, therefore, and therefore, you should not get married and when you're supposed to be rejoicing about the Yom Tif, and they're going to be rejoicing about the wedding. As it's written, and Shlomo Amelach, King Solomon, made a feast at that time and all of Israel with him. It was a great congregation from Lavo Hamas up until the Nachamatzrayim, in front of Hashem, our God. Seven days and seven days, 14 days altogether. And if indeed we are concerned that you're going to be mixing together one rejoicing with another, then you should have delayed, Shlomo Melech should have delayed the, the, the holiday of, um, not the holiday, but the consecration of the Yisrael Mikdash until actually Sukkot. Then he could have had people just the entire Sukkot, they could have been celebrating the brand new Yisrael Mikdash. Why didn't he do that? It must be because he didn't want people to mix together two different joyous occasions. 
Maybe that's not a good proof. Maybe to actually wait for it that you can enjoy them and mix them together, that's not appropriate. But if it happens to turn out on the same time period, then indeed it is permitted. There's no proof from here. If so, the Shlomo Melech should have made sure that there should be a little bit left that will end up happening on Cholomite itself, that the joyous occasion of the consecration of the Beis HaMikdash for the first time should have happened on Sukkot. Clearly, you're not supposed to mix them together. But maybe the reason why you can't do this is you're not allowed to delay. Once you're building it, you can't delay. So how do you know there's a proof from here that you're not allowed to do it together? Maybe you are allowed to do it together. It just happened to be since it was ready beforehand, you're not allowed to delay. He could have left over a tiny bit of, of, of the building that was not essential. It was the part that is there to scare away the birds. And that he could have left over until the last final, last possible minute. I'm a killer. What do you mean? They are actually essential. Who told you that's not an essential part? Maybe it's essential. So rather, what are you going to have to say? The, the pasuk is, is a little bit redundant, repetitious. Come and listen. It says 14 days. If it says 14 days total, then why do you need to tell me seven days and seven days? What's the point? You see from here that indeed, the first seven days, the second seven days were distinct. One of them was the days of the of the consecration. One of them was the days of Yom Kippur. That year they did not celebrate Yom Kippur because if you calculate seven days, the day before Sukkot, and those are the seven days of when they were rejoicing and partying every day as they built the base of Mikdash, as they finished the, uh, inaugurated the base of Mikdash. Well, then when you come up with against is you're going straight through Yom Kippur. They didn't fast that year. Incredible. And then what happened is they were concerned. We didn't fast. And they're like, uh-oh, we didn't fast in Kippur. And they were worried. Maybe we're going to be subject to destruction. A heavenly voice came out and said, all of you are destined for the world to come. My Darish, what was their drasha? They tell them that they should do this. They said a the Mishka, the tabernacle in the desert was not going to be an everlasting holiness because it was going to be replaced by the base of Mikdash. And still an individual sacrifices would push off Shabbos, even in the Mishka. The Isr Skila, which is typically an Isr Skila, an, a, a, a stoning offense. The holiness of the base of Mikdash is quite forever. A carbon zebra and it has public offerings. The Yom Kippur of the Einish Karis and it's Yom Kippur the Einish Karis like Halshkin. How much more so would it push it off? Elamai how you diagram? Well, then why were they concerned? Why were they worried that they weren't fasting? Asam Tzarech Kabaya Hachat Tzarech Hadid. Over there, the carbonists that were brought to push off Yom Tif, they were brought up for the sake of Hashem. Over here, these carbon the the party and that they weren't fasting for that was for their own sake. Achanami Meved LaAvdu. Over here too, why indeed did they eat and drink on Yom Kippur? They should have just brought the offerings and not eaten it. You can't really call it simcha without eating and drinking. How do you know that the Mishkan pushes off Shabbos? Maybe when you say, as it says on the first day and the seventh day, maybe it means the seventh day, which is Shabbos. It's not necessarily a good proof, because maybe when it says seven, it means the seventh day of the Kabbanas, but not Shabbos. I'm going to have Nachman Yitzchak. Nachman says, Amar Kral, it says in the Pasuk, on the day of the 11th day, just like one day is, is a continuous day, so to the 11th days were all continuous. 
Maybe it only means the days that were appropriate to bring in a bit to bring it, but not on Shabbos. Siv Karachin had written another pasuk. Mayim Shnei Maser Yem on the day of the twelfth day. My Yem Kulei Ratzu. Just like a day is continuous. Ashnei Maser Yem Kulei Ratzu. So too, the whole twelve days were continuous. Maybe that only means continuous uh, uh, days that are fit. If so, then why do I need to upset them? How do I know that during the time period of the consecration of the Mikdash that they pushed off Yom Kippur? What's their source for that? How do you know that that's true? If it's because it's written in the Torah, 14 days. Maybe it only means the, the appropriate days, but maybe indeed on Yom Kippur they didn't, they did not, uh, they didn't break their fast and they didn't celebrate. You'll learn out from the analogy from the word yayim over here and the yayim over there to tell you that all days are straight. And therefore, the heavenly voice came out and said to them, All of you are destined for the world to come. How indeed do we know that they are forgiven for the sin, or presumably a sin of Eden Yom Kippur? As a melech on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they gave the king a bracha. The and they went back to their tents. Semechem etub levav, went back to their tents, happy and joyous of hearts. Al kol hatoyva asher as Hashem, the David Abdel Yisrael Amay. For all the goodness that Hashem had thrown to David, his servant, and to Yisrael, his people, loyaleim to their tents. Shahochu umatzu nashem betahara. When they went home, they found their wives in a state of ritual purity. Okay. And we just saw earlier, two, two days ago, we saw that the concept of Ahalai meaning your wife. To make them, they were joyous. They had enjoyed the sense of being close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And with joyous hearts, a gladness in their hearts. Each and every one of the women became pregnant with a male child. For all of the goodness, the, the heavenly voice went out and said to them, all of you are destined and have a sheer, uh, have a portion waiting for you in Elam Haba in the world to come. The David Abdel Yisrael Amay, Hashem had shown to David his servant and to Yisrael his people. When they talk about the goodness that he showed to Yisrael his people, that makes sense. Because he forgave them for the sin of Yidan Kippur. What's the goodness that he showed David his servant? What is it? I'm going to view them. The gates became stuck together. Shlomo said, There was not answer. Then he, he began again, and what he said is, Lift up your heads, the gates, right? But he still didn't answer him. Hashem, you know, my God, do not turn aside. The face of your um, of your anointed one. Remember the kindness of David, your servant. Immediately he was answered and gate open. So we see is that he was answered in the merit of King David. At that moment, those who had always hated the haters of King David, their faces were turned black with either wrath or humiliation. And then it became clear to all that indeed Hashem had forgiven David Amalek for the sin with Bathsheba and Oriahiti. They were learning the 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 Sugya of Nadarim with Rashim and Bayekai. 
If the Mineba or they say goodbye to him at night, that's Safra Hadar, then in the morning they came and what did they do? They come after Mineba, they again say goodbye to him. I'm going to say to them, if the reason Mineba or but didn't you say goodbye to me last night? I'm going to say, they said to him, Lamadatainu Rabbeinu, Rabbi, you taught us, Master, you taught us, Talmud Shinifta Mi Rabbi, Velonba Isir. If even if you're, if you are, you did really say goodbye, but if you're sleeping in the same city, then Tzarach Lifta Mimenu Pamacharis, you have to come back in the morning and say goodbye again. She never says, Vayem Hashmini Shalach Asa'am, on the eighth day, King Shalom Alech sent the people away, Vayvarach Asa'amalach, and they, they blessed the king. Like Simon, it's also written, Ubayyayim Asrim Veshleishal Chedesh Ashti, 23rd day of the seventh month, Shalach Asa'am, he sent away the people. So here we learn that if a student says goodbye to his teacher, and then he ends up sleeping that night in the city, he has to say goodbye again in the morning. He said to his son, These people are men of great stature. Go Logan, I'll give you a bracha. He went and he heard them comparing. They're comparing sukkim and, and asking contradictions from different sukkim. See if it is written. Palas Magel Raglacha Vakhodar Khacha Yechainu. Balance the the ways of your feet, and then all of your ways become established. It's also written, make sure that you don't measure the path of life. In other words, don't pick and choose. Like Kash, it's not a question. If you have several mitzvahs that can be done, right? Some of which can be done through other people, then you should take the biggest mitzvah for yourself. But a mitzvah that there's no one else who could do it, then you just do it immediately. You don't say to yourself, I'm not going to do this mitzvah because I have a bigger one coming. They were sitting and they were asking each other. It is written, that the Torah is more precious than paninim, than pearls. And all the things that you have, your desire, right? You're not even close to what Torah is. Implication is that the, that the, what Hashem wants is actually comparable to the Torah. The Ksivan, it's also written. All of your desires are not comparable to it. Even the, sake, even the things that you're doing for the sake of heaven are not comparable to it. Nothing is, compares to Torah learning. This is referring to something that's possible to be done by somebody else. If something cannot be done by anybody else, it pushes off even Torah learning. If something can be done by other people, then it does not push off Torah learning. Amr they said to him, my bias hacha, what is your business over here? Amr Lui said to them, the Amr Abba, my father said to me, Zilga Bayo de Lebrucha, go along with them, so I'll give you a bracha. Amr Lui said to him, Yehei, Rabba, the Tizra Valay Tachtzeid, should be Hashem's happiness that you should be able to, Tizra, you should sow, and you should not, Valay Tachtzeid, you should not mow. Tile Valay Tapek, you should bring in, you should not go out. Tapek Valay Tile, you go out, you don't bring in. Your house should be desolate and your, your lodging, your temporary place should be inhabited. Your, your table should be disturbed. You should not see a new year. This is a crazy blessing. When he comes to his father, he said to him, It's not bad enough that they didn't give me a bracha. They actually cursed me almost. His father said to him, What they say to you? He said, This is what they told me. His father said to him, these are all blessed. You should sow, but you should not end up harvesting. You should give birth to children, the sons, and they will not end up dying. You should bring in, you shouldn't go out. You should bring them daughters-in-law, and your sons will not die. The lift going, that their wives should not have to leave. You should go out and not bring in. 
you should give your daughters in marriage, and their husbands will not die. So your daughters don't come back to your house. Your house should be desolate, your inn should be inhabited. The high alma should be zacha. This world is the inn, right? And the other world, is a house. The tzivah is written. Their thought is always based on what they're thinking about their house. I'll take read karvam. Don't read their inner thought. Ella kivram, but rather their grave. To disturb the table. With sons and daughters, you have children who make a lot of noise and they make a lot of mess. And this is a bracha. You shouldn't see a new year. Meaning that your wife won't die. You won't have to marry another wife. So the new year does not mean that you won't live for another year, but rather means you won't get another new year at marriage. Because that first year is a seminal year. But you already did it and you're not going to have to have another one. Shemachalafta after me, the rabbi Shemachalafta says goodbye to Rav, right? Get a bracha. Should be Hashem's will that you should not be embarrassed, become embarrassed. Embarrassed others or become embarrassed. So he came to his father. What did he tell you? So he said, He just said some words. He gave you the bracha that Hashem gave Yisrael twice. And you will eat it much and you'll be satisfied and then you will give a bracha to Hashem. And my people will never be ashamed forever. And then you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am Hashem, your God. My people will never be ashamed. And a woman can make her adornments. These are the adornments that women make. Ooh, Pekases, ooh, Madira. This is eyeshadow. Pekases is um, departing. Uh, Madira, Alpana, and, and putting, uh, you know, makeup on her face. And there are those who say, Madiras, Sarak, Alpana, Shalmita. And she's allowed to use a razor for her hair below. Devisu, the Rabchizda, Makashta, Ba'an, Pekalasa. She adorned herself, and Chizda's wife got, put on makeup and, and uh, jewelry in front of her daughter to show her what is permitted, what is not permitted. Ravuna, the son of Chinana, sat in front of Chizda. And as he sat, he said, This is only true for a young woman, but not for an elderly woman. It's not true even for a grandmother and even for a great grandmother. Even when she's about to die. I mean, she, people say, at 60 as at six, right? In other words, women have this need to look pretty and they want to look fancy and they want to put on their nice jewelry. And when they're six, they want to do it. And when they're 60, they want to do it. You should not put on lime on Cholombay. A woman should not put on lime. It's initially gross. He does agree that if it's a sid, she if it's a sit that can be peeled off quickly, but may it on chalamid itself, chat type lasse with may that you're allowed to put it on a chalamid. He actually, even though it gives her a skin irritation immediately, smechi lachersman, after a little bit of time, the depilatory effect will be noticeable and she won't have hair. Mia say that something that gives you tsar initially, but then later on will be simcha you're allowed to do on chalamid, but it's in a mishnah. You're allowed to collect money. Because it's actually annoying to the guyim. Amrulei, they said to him, "You're not allowed to collect 
from the Goyim right before their holidays, because what's going to happen is you're going to cause them to be rejoicing on the holidays that they no longer owe any money. So even though initially it's annoying for them, right, they have to pay up, but the next day they'll feel great. says, leave aside the laws of because they all come from the principle that it, it could be annoying right now, and yet still it, it gives you joy afterwards. In other words, People don't enjoy baking or cooking, but afterwards it tastes good. Ravina Amar, kusi le'inyan pirayin la'ilam etzar. Collecting debts from a kusi is always going to be permitted, even before their holidays, because it's always annoying for them. I'm Rav Yehuda. Benesi Yisrael shegiul apirkan. Benesi Yisrael have reached the age of um, a puberty. Velay hegiul shana, but they didn't yet reach the twelve and a half. Aniyas, if they are poor, typeless eisin besid, then they should put lime on to get rid of their hair. Ashiras, if they are wealthy, typeless eisin besidus, then they put a fine flour mixture on to get rid of the hair. But Nes Malachim, the daughters of kings, the Shemen Hamar, then they put on myrrh oil. Shnemer says, Shish Chadashim Shemen Hamar. Six months they did the preparation of the myrrh oil for Esther to get ready to meet Achashverosh. My Shemen Hamar was Shemen Hamar. Ravuna Barachia Amar Satachas. It is the Satachas, which is myrrh. And Yermia Bar Ami, or Yermia Bar Ami says, Amar Shemen Zayashalahevishlish. It's a reference to olive oil from olives that have not yet reached one third of their growth. Tanya, we're going to turn by seven of you, Daimer. And Piknain, Shaman Zayash, Lehevi Shlish. And Piknain is actually oil made from unripe olives that have not yet reached one third of their growth. Alama Sachana, I said, why do they put it on? Shemit Sarah Shashar, because it removes tsar, removes the hair, umadanes habasar, and it makes the skin very soft. Revebe have a lebar, Revebe had a daughter. And Tafla Eva Eva, he put the, the lime on her one limb at a time. Shaka Badal and Meazuze. And she was able to get married to her husband for a, a dowry of 400 zuz, because how beautiful she was. There was a kusi living in his town who also had a daughter. He put the lime ointment on her, but all at one time, and not one limb at a time, and she died. Bebe killed my daughter. Bebe drinks beer. Therefore, his daughters required the lime ointment to remove the beer. But we do not drink beer. Our daughters do not need this lime oil to remove the beer. According to some, this is the source why women today think that if you drink from Havdalah, you'll end up getting a, a, um, a beard. And the reason for it is, is because this Gemara tells us that if women who drink beer, or maybe if their father drinks beer, that they will be likely to have extra hair and they will require lime to remove the hair. Okay, we're going to stop over here for Shabbos. And we'll pick up again on Sunday, but as Hashem on Daf Yud Aleph. Okay, take care.